With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Crime Wire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to Crime Wire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host Delilah Jones and I will discuss the 2006 disappearance and presumed death of Michelle Hutchings of Clinton, New York. The then 27-year-old was last seen on Bleecker Street in Utica, New York, on July 30, 2006. Joining us to talk about the case is Oneida County, New York, Undersheriff Robert Swinskowski. Undersheriff, welcome back to CrimeWire. How are you, Denny? Delilah, it's great to be back. We're just happy um, to have you back again. You always bring us such good information, and you know, hopefully, our our listeners are thinking the same thing, and I'm sure they are. I appreciate that. Uh, Under sheriff, it's been just over ten years since Michelle disappeared, apparently without a trace. Uh, I believe the case has been declared a homicide. Can you give our listeners some additional background and tell us the current status of the investigation? Yep. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's been 10 years. Um, we just did some interviews, some other, uh, you know, informational uh, media outlets, uh, Michelle's mother, uh, myself. Um, when we, our administration took over the sheriff's office in 2011, um, you know, the case was already five years old, six years old, uh, going, going into that area. Um we discovered that probably today that they've followed up on over 425 leads. That's how extensive the case was. So Michelle, um, unfortunately, she had some addiction problems, and she lived in a village uh, in Clinton, New York. However, she spent a lot of time in the city of New York. And when I say a lot of time, uh, it was not uncommon to her for a go to day for to go days or weeks. Um, without coming home uh, was something, you know, her family struggled with and her, her mom uh, struggled with to help her, um, you know, fighting the addiction that she had. And um, she basically fell into associating with a lot of criminal element in uh, within the city of Utica. It, would it be safe to assume that the Bleecker Street area then is maybe, a, what would we call it, a crime-ridden or a high-crime area? Um, there's certain portions of it where, where she was, um, you know, many years ago, it was an extremely popular storefront area. Everything was in, in walking distance. Um, the further into certain areas you go, 
Um, the city has become a little run down, and yeah, you do have a lot of drug activity, prostitution. Um, you know, there has been shootings in those areas and things like that. So, unfortunately, it has become a less desirable area of the city. And you know, as of late, the, the city itself has certainly has been improving its its uh, atmosphere and environment. And uh, the Utica Police is, you know, they do an outstanding job with what they have, and they they certainly have a lot to work with. But yeah, I mean, if you look at the county of Anitta's major cities, Rome and Utica, you know, most of the drug activity and things like that come out of the city of Utica. Um, I, I noticed when I was uh, doing a little research for, for today's program is that in January 2007, there was a body of a, a woman named Jennifer Bennett, a 29-year-old Utica woman found in Deerfield. Yeah. Uh, suspicious death and. It said uh, the Bennett woman and Michelle were associated with some of the same people. Uh, Is it possible then that uh, those two deaths, again, I I guess the body of uh, Michelle hasn't been found yet, but she's presumed dead. Um, Do you think there could be any connection between those two cases? Um, As it it stands, I'll give you the fast forward everything, Um, the the killer of, of Jennifer Bennett was found through okay. DNA, and, I, and I'll give you that story. But yes, the Michelle and Jennifer ran in basically the same circles, um, knew, knew the same thing. Um, uh, Jennifer w- was a prostitute. Um, she was picked up by a man, um, and he uh, eventually strangled her and killed her and dumped her body in the snow by, in, a, in a neighboring town, the town of Deerfield, were literally behind a fire department, and unfortunately, it was like kids that were sledding actually discovered the body. Um, it went unsolved for a little while till that person ended up in our jail, and now that we do, and this is the whole reason behind uh, DNA identification, they took his DNA, he was in for a petty charge, I want to say it was like an aggravated unlicensed operation charge of a vehicle took his DNA, shortly before he was going to be released, we discovered there was a hit from the Jennifer Bennett case, and it ended up that he confessed to the murder of her, that he solicited Jennifer as a prostitute and, you know, brought her somewhere to have sex and ended up killing her. So uh, certainly there was concern that there might have been similarities, um, and he was, you know, a suspect, um, until obviously he, he was eliminated, um, just given the, the surrounding circumstances of both cases, he did not, um, you know, fit that that the profile and the uh, information that we uh, we had. Uh, let me ask you a question that uh, I think I know the answer to, but I'm not sure. Uh, <clears throat> when you have a case such as Michelle's, where there's no body found. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems to me that that drastically reduces or impedes investigation because the, the body, uh, if located, can can be a wealth of information for investigators. Uh, when you don't have that that uh, body to work with and to uh, examine and perhaps get DNA, uh, like you mentioned in the Bennett situation, um, how tough does that make it to investigate a case when there's no remains found? 
Well, as far as actually even declaring it officially a homicide, I mean, you know, <laughs> you can't. And that's that's the tough right. part, and it's the frustrating part here. I mean, is there that, you know, 0.001% chance that, you know, Michelle, you know, took off to California and said, this is the only way I'm going to change my life, or is out there? In a sure, there is. I mean, from the information we have obtained, no, more than likely, um, you know, our understanding is, you know, she was killed um, it, it, somehow with, some of the people that she was involved in, whether it was over you know, money or drugs or, or she was just a, a victim that fell prey to one of these people she associated with, you know, that still remains to be seen. But basically the word on the street and over those 425 leads that we've had, it surely indicates that it, it appears to be she's she's been murdered. And we've, you know, been out to New Jersey, we've been to Albany, we've been to, you know, different areas within the state, outside the state, you know, following up on you know, some wild goose chase leads and some leads that, you know, basically brought us closer to the conclusion that, yeah, she probably was murdered. But you hit that on the head is, you know, we don't have anything to work with. Like in the Bennett case, we had a body. We had DNA. So it's just a matter of time to, you know, narrow down to, you know, potentially finding a suspect where this, um, you know, it's extremely frustrating because this is, I mean, the case is certainly at a point where, you know, my personal concern is for her family, you know. I mean, we'd love to have, you know, the fairy book tale that, you know, she went off somewhere and, you know, found herself and, and got better and, you know, she's still alive. But, you know, the reality is, you know, I'd love to give the family some type of closure in, you know, finding uh, Michelle's body, finding her and, and, you know, that's the first part. The second stage, of course, would be, you know, bringing her justice. But, I mean, as as a parent myself, you know, I, I waited to, geez, if you had a choice and you couldn't find out who did it, but you could get that closure, you know, it, it's a tough choice to make. And you certainly, you know, they're entitled to both. Now, if if unidentified remains are at some point located, then they could be matched up. Uh, if, if it is, uh, Michelle could be matched up with the DNA Yes, there is certainly means to, to match up if there's um, remains found, you know, whether it had been through DNA or dental records or other means, um, there certainly would be a way to do that, and it would be something that, you know, we would follow through on an investigation. Um, and again, you know, this could be something that, you know, unidentified remains pop up in, you know, Pennsylvania. You know, we're, we're always, you know, the case is considered open. Um, and, you know, we actively take leads on it. We just recently followed up on one about two weeks ago. You know, with a person in a local jail claiming to know some information, you know, it didn't it didn't culminate to anything. But still, we we consistently follow up on these leads. Now, you mentioned uh, going back to the Bennett case for a minute. Um, this was uh, a situation where you had someone in on a rel- relatively minor charge, uh, and yet uh, because you're now doing DNA uh, from your inmates. Uh, you were able to get this match and get the hit and uh, a subsequent confession. Um, how how many uh, facilities uh, do you think? Uh, well, it's a tough question. I guess I'm talking nationwide, but do you think a lot of facilities now are into the DNA collection of, of new arrivals? Um, they've put it into New York State law. The DNA collect, connect, well, collection actually comes to um, people who are that come into our jail after they're arrested 
Um, mm-hmm. So it's basically seen as the same along the same lines as fingerprinting at this point. So you know we're taking for certain level crimes and higher. Um, to me, I, I mean, my personal opinion is you know just like fingerprinting, it, it should be used the same way. Um, but they're collecting DNA and putting it in a database. Um, I've had mine taken because, like, different police officers say you go to a, a burglary scene and you touch something. Well, they have to rule out your DNA say, hey, yeah, Rob Swinkowski was at that scene. We have his DNA on file. That's the one that showed up on this window because he looked in the window, put his hand there, or things like that. So um, to me, it's very useful. There's been some Supreme Court cases that have uh, favored law enforcement. Some people believe it's intrusive. Um, you know, I look at it like fingerprints. It's an identifying marker of each person. And, you know, if you don't do anything wrong, what is the concern about having DNA on file? You know, and we get people that, you know, they're, they're introduced into the criminal justice system. Um, they take a, you know, it's a non-intrusive swab. It's just basically like putting a Q-tip in the inside of your cheek. They rub it and they collect DNA and they, they have that in a database. But, you know, we're, we have a guy getting picked up today from our jail that his DNA was a match for a rape in the state of Ohio 20 years ago. Wow. So, you know, as we speak right now, this guy's getting picked up in, in my jail um, and getting shipped out to Ohio for a rape from 20 years ago. So, you know, I bring that up because to me there's still hope for, for this case, you know, and, and, and cases similar to it that you, you hear about, you know, and, I'm, and I can't appreciate you guys enough concentrating on, on cold cases because, you know, people always think about it being on the back burner, um, that's not necessarily true. A lot of these cases are at the forefront of people's minds every day because, you know, as police officers, we don't like for, you know, justice not to be served. We don't like to have an unfinished case or something that's unresolved in our business. It's just part of our personality. So, um, you know, it's 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 very important that, that we address this. And, and there's someone out there, if not more than one person, that, that knows about this or has intimate details about this. And we just hope either through... You know, whether it's a guilty conscience or they uh, feel compelled to finally do the right thing or they're put in a precarious situation where, you know, it benefits them to give out that details. I'm really not concerned how they do it, but it, it would certainly, um, you know, at one at one time or another, we're hopeful that someone's in that situation where that information's enough information, I should say, is divulged to move the case that one step forward. Well, I have to yeah, say, I think it's it's a it's a great that you're collecting DNA on arrest. I think, you know, remember Denny when we had Maggie Zingman on years ago, and she is still to this day, she travels all around the country. Uh, her daughter was murdered and still unsolved, and DNA holds the key, and they just have not been able to find a match. So she has traveled all over the country all these years to get agencies to do what you're doing. And, you know, I think if we think about the the inconvenience to people or we think it's, a, um, um, you know, something Somehow that intrusive is... intrusive or we, something. Yes, intrusive. Thank you. What about the <laughs> victims? What do we... Right. You know, we have to hold the victims to – we have to do more. And if this is what we can do to keep that person from committing more more crimes and also give the victim some kind of peace of mind that they're off the streets and there's justice served, too bad. (laughs) 
Too bad. Sure. And, I mean, we look at it, you know, if you we do, uh, uh, it's a project called Safe Child, run through the New York State Sheriff's Association. And we take a thumbprint and a photo of a, of a child in, in case they go missing. It's, you know, just a, a benchmark piece um, a, a, as, as far as a resource or a focal point to say, hey, here's a picture and a thumbprint. Um, but yet, if you said you were going to do that, say, hey, when everyone reached the age of 10 or at birth, we're just going to take a DNA swab and put it on file, you know, you've always got those people that want to be adversarial and say, oh, that's intrusive somehow. But why? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if that can help you find your kid, you wouldn't be objective to it. But yet, if it's going to convict you of a crime, you know, I, it, it's just funny how, how some people view different things. And, and to me, I mean, I, I'd be the first person in line, hey, here, here's my DNA. You know, um, exactly. It's, just, it's, well, it's a great we tool. Society have been, you know, we we've just been almost brainwashed to believe that criminals have rights, which they do. I'm not saying they don't. As human beings, they have rights. However, sure. when they when their rights supersede the victim's rights, I, I think we have a problem. Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree. Amen. Um, Delilah, you'll have to may have to refresh my memory somewhat here, but uh, under Sheriff, do you remember the Morgan Harrington case from a few years ago? The student uh, that disappeared, I think she was a Virginia Tech student, she disappeared from a concert. I don't recall it. Okay, and they they found her uh, remains, uh, I guess it was a few months later, and uh, it was a cold case until uh, I think it was 2015, I believe, another girl went missing, and uh, they found the uh, suspect in that case because, uh, uh, to a great degree, because they had uh, camera that you know they had security camera uh, footage mm-hmm. that showed the girl with the suspect. Uh, he subsequently was arrested and uh, took a plea. Uh, you know, the death penalty off the table in return for a, uh, a guilty plea. And when they did his DNA, they found that he had murdered uh, Morgan Harrington as well. And uh-huh. Morgan's mother has been on a crusade. Her name is Jill, Jill Harrington, and her husband have been on a crusade uh, getting legislation. They got legislation passed in Virginia recently also uh making it a requirement that DNA be collected from uh, persons entering the penal system there, uh, jails and uh, prison. And she said, uh, Jill Harrington said, that had this uh, law been in effect at the time her daughter was murdered, that wouldn't have happened because they would have had this guy. He would have been locked up. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't have been free. So... um, you know what you're saying about the Bennett case and the Harrington case and all this. I, I really am pleased to hear that some of these people are being caught and perhaps, uh, you know, other other lives are being saved because of that because they're off the streets and they're not out there uh, able to do any more damage. Yeah, and those are the type of things you know you wonder. Like uh, Craig Ing- Ingersoll was the murderer of. Uh, Jennifer Bennett. And he actually, when he went into state prison, he committed suicide. But again, his DNA is on file. Did he do this out of state? Or did he do this to other people that haven't been found? You know, that's that's the good thing is at least you'll know. 
you know, and, yes. and like you say, with the case of uh, Morgan, I, I believe I was I was um, looking at that, and it was a uh, Jesse Matthew was the yes. was the murderer, and he had, he had a history of sexual assaults. So you know, I mean, you know, like Delilah says, you know, you got to weigh that and say, listen, <laughs> you you've got yeah. a, a whether it's a, a sexual predator, a murderer, a kidnapper, you know, how do you weigh that against that being intrusive. I, I just, you know, to me, it makes no sense. There's, there's no reason not to have, um, you know, a, a, some type of database with DNA from people that are introduced in the criminal justice system at minimum. If not, you know, if you did it at birth, I, I don't know what the, what the issue would, would be. Uh, absolutely, and and like Delilah was saying, you know, the rights of the victims should not uh, be superseded by the the. Uh, the the criminals or the suspects and uh, I I don't want to get off on a tirade about this sure. <laughs> I could very easily oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, sometimes political correctness kind of runs amok and you you know it, it, it's we're so concerned about somebody's feelings or this feeling of intrusiveness or whatever sure. uh, that really doesn't doesn't hold water but yet it's out there and it, it really aggravates me. And, and I have to give you know the Supreme Court credit because it was Maryland versus King. The Supreme Court basically said you know when officers make an arrest uh, that's supported by probable cause um, to hold uh, for a serious offense and bring the suspect to the station to be uh, detained for custody, taking a cheap swab is part of a booking process. It's a legitimate booking process. It's not intrusive. You know, and that's that's a great decision. You know, at, at minimum because it certainly supports the ability to. Um, not only collect identifying markers, but solve crimes down the road. Absolutely. You know, and I think the. I'm sorry, D. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to add this in there. This this case, in looking over the links that you sent and and reading the little bit, really details that are out there, it it really has a lot of similarities to cases in Wilmington, North Carolina. Actually, the same time frame, 2006-2007, Allison Jackson Foy and Angela Rothen, both, you know, Angela, I believe, was a working prostitute. uh, Allison was not. But, again, they, they were kind of not in the same circles, but knew some of the same people. And... I, it's just amazing to me the similarities. You might want to take a look. Yeah, absolutely. There is a suspect there, but he has not been he has not been charged. So there, you know, these cases are still unsolved as well. Yeah, and that's the frustration. I mean, you know, even having um, a legitimate suspect, you know, in any crime, and and Danny, I'm sure you can, you know you you got enough experience between what you've written and and studied and and talked about. You know, if someone keeps something to themselves. <laughs> That's that's a smart person. I mean, at the end, you know, people want to look at criminals as they're, you know, they're not intelligent and they're, you know, they're just uh, some, you know, lower level of people walk around. Uh, it's really not necessarily true. Some of these people are professionals at what they do and they're very good at what they do. And in crime, and especially, you know, organized crime, we learn this, the people, the less people that knew, um, the more they got away with. You know, if someone did something with one person as compared to six people, it was there was less chance they were going to get caught. Less people talked, and you know that's the thing. If someone exclusively has um, murdered 
uh, Michelle, you know, it's going to be harder to, you know, pinpoint uh, an investigation towards that one person with a lack of evidence. And like you pointed out, no body as compared to if there are a number of people that are aware, you know, you hope someone's again, putting it that situation where they're going to talk. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss. And if you can keep, <laughs> if, yeah. if you're the, the, the culprit and you can keep, keep it to yourself, obviously you're going to be tougher. You know I mean? The, the, the chances of detection are a lot less than, uh, and somebody else to turning you in. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, speaking of DNA, there was, uh, I guess, a relatively new technology out now. Uh, and what was it, the uh, the Parabon Nanolab uh, program, where they they can now take uh, the DNA? Uh, they can do this uh, in the case of. Uh, unidentified remains or through DNA to identify a, a suspect or, and uh, what they can do in the case of, uh, in those cases, they can take their DNA and, and end up drawing a, uh, a photo or a picture of what the, the person whose remains were found would have looked like in real life. And they can do a age progression photographs and they can also do it with uh, DNA from a suspect, such as you know rape and murder type thing. Right. And they can actually uh, prepare a, a photo of the possible suspect. And uh, I'm actually looking at the, it as you're describing it to me, and that's that's very interesting. And they do they call it a Parabon snapshot. Snapshot. Yeah. And yeah, I when I heard snapshot. about it, I couldn't believe it, but I that's. Uh, it seems to me that would be a great asset too if you could, uh, you know, know the uh, uh, about what the suspect would have looked like and then age enhance it. And uh, uh, absolutely, it's and not only yeah. I mean they're not only showing you what they create, but they actually have a section here they show actual suspects that were apprehended after as comparison to the image that they created, and uh, they're they're pretty much right on. Yeah, so I, I think. It sounds like a great tool, and um, when we we interviewed the uh, director of the lab, and she obviously is is, is very excited about it. But uh, the way it works apparently is the, uh, for example, if a family, if if the family of the victim of the deceased person uh, wanted that done, uh, they can't just go to Parabon because Parabon has to work with the law enforcement agency that's involved in the case. Because one thing is they generally have control of the DNA. Sure, uh, sure. And um, they have to get that, although in, in cases, I, I didn't price these uh, these testifying. I'm assuming they, they, they're pretty uh, pricey, but um, in, in cases where if the department doesn't have the resources to, to for something like that, as long as they're willing to provide the DNA, they could work out a deal with if the family, if they have the resources, could reimburse or pay the uh, the fee, even sure. though they wouldn't be the client. The client would be the police agency. But right. uh, I think I think as word about that gets out too, that's going to uh, uh, be a great tool for law enforcement. Yeah, I've, I've never seen it. And I'll tell you, it looks like some amazing technology. Again, they're putting up. The DNA extractions, and then they're 
their uh, snapshot composites, and then they show the the actual person they did it for after, and they're 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 right on on the descriptions and the, and the physical features. So that, that's just again one more way how technology uh, helps, and it shows the the importance of DNA collection. And it, it just I would I'm trying to think of this from the perspective of a family uh, of a victim. Um, and when it's been all these years and you kind of give up hope, and then when you hear, like the case of your your uh, inmate that's being sent back to Ohio for a 20-year-old uh, uh, homicide and, and the uh, the Bennett situation and the, the Morgan Harrington things, and, and then the nanolab snapshot, when you hear all that stuff, I would think that would give you a little hope that maybe someday – the, the other important part, um, Judy Seelman is, is Michelle's mother. Um, you know, we've talked numerous times in the last six years since, since I've been um, up here as undersheriff, and I know she's had contact with our agency since um, this agency took over over that case. Um, you know, it, she's certainly a reminder, too, of why it's important, again, and, and especially if you're a parent. I mean, I don't think anyone can't relate to you know, God, what is this? You may not be able to empathize with it, but you certainly can sympathize. Jeez, what is this person going through? You know, to want that closure. And she's just, you know, she's one of those women that, you know, she doesn't give up. And I give her a lot of credit for not doing that. But, you know, she's certainly, uh, you know, insistent on, you know, this moving forward, and, and it should. And <clears throat> speaking of, of uh, the tenacity, if you will, of uh, Mrs. Seelman, it, it seems to me that – Sometimes over the well over the years, uh, Delisle I think will verify that we've talked to a lot of victims' families when we profiled cases, and we found their at uh, their relationship with the investigating agency isn't all that great. Uh, you know, and obviously uh, we're getting one side of the story, uh, you know, from the family side, but uh, th- there are issues and. Where you just said where you've kept in touch uh, with with Mrs. Seelman, that type of uh, thing I think is great because the family is it, it's nice for them to know that somebody cares sure. that they haven't been thrown in file thirteen so to speak right. Right. and uh, and I I think sometimes some of the cases we've had that had the detective or the handling officer, or whatever, maybe maintain contact once in a while. It it could have eased the situation and, and the animosity that built up uh, over yeah. a period of time. When you don't, when your when the family's phone calls aren't returned and you feel like you're being tossed aside. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that, it, you know, there's this case is and it's far from perfect for the family, and and you know Mrs. Seelman has had her. Um, you know, disappointments. She's had her frustrations with the case. You know, we've shared them. We, you know, we, when I came in uh, to this position, you know, we sat down in my office together and, and, you know, kind of cleared the air about some things. And you have an understanding because, you know, you worked in government, criminal justice system, you know, you wrote about it, you studied it. Um, but, you know, people that are, are blind to it, they don't have an understanding of a lot of the roadblocks we have. They have to do with, you know, people's rights and, and so on, um, you know, procedural things, um, you know, if we want to search something about getting a warrant, you know, things like that. 
And, you know, their end goal is this lady wants her daughter back, and she doesn't care how you do it. You know, so that's that's where the frustration, and I'm sure that's common in a lot of cases. Um, you know, that's that's what we have to deal with. You know, she had to deal with, you know, going to the Utica Police Department, and I'm not, you know, disparaging them by any means, but she went to the city of Utica, and the city of Utica basically said, listen, just because she hangs out down here all the time doesn't necessarily mean, you know, we're going to take a case when you're saying she's missing from your house in the village of Clinton. You know, he went to the state police, and, and she didn't get a great response from them, and it ended up with us. Well, you know, that was a two-week period of investigation that was lost. You know, yeah. our guys couldn't get that time back. They had to basically go backwards into, okay, collecting all what happened. But, you know, that was, that was a, a, you know, a tough part for her to, to go through and was any evidence lost during that was the you know how time frames work i mean you know it was it's just it's very frustrating on our end too so we share some of the same frustrations and then there's some things that we're not going to understand that she goes through and on the same thing that she's just not going to understand some of the things that we have to do or have to abide by when we're doing these things and it certainly does make it frustrating so you know, I certainly don't want to sugarcoat any aspect of it. She has certainly been frustrated at times. But at the end of the day, I think she knows legitimately, you know, we are trying to do everything we can do. And the hard part is, you know, when more cases come in and different cases come in, we have to work on those cases as they come in. So, you know, people don't, maybe I'm using the wrong terminology, does it get, you know, pushed aside or um, it's not the main focal point of the day? Yes, that that that's the truth on these cases. You know, in, in America, you know, out of every three homicides, the the statistics are two go unsolved, and that's that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. But you know what? We don't put it in a, a filing cabinet, forget about it. We make sure we touch base on things. We follow up with leads, and again, now it's just it's it's a waiting game. It's it's a it's a you know something you you depend on over time that someone's going to slip up someone's going to be compelled to say something or somehow evidence is going to surface um, that's going to lead this case to closure. Yes, it's uh, it's, it's really uh, that never giving up, like in the part of Mrs. Seelman and others like her, to to hang in there no matter what and and try to work with the police agency as much as possible to to get a result, you know, whether it's uh, finding the daughter in the case of Mrs. Seelman uh, or finding uh, a, a suspect uh, in other cases, it's, it's uh, you can't give up. And when we talk to the families, we always encourage them, you know, as tough as it is sometimes, as frustrating as it can be, uh, you got to you gotta stay with it. And that's uh, it, you know, it enhances the chances of getting a, res- a favorable resolution or the resolution uh, to the to the case. So it's it's very important. Absolutely. And I give these parents and families all the credit in the world when they when they do have the the strength and the uh, you know internal fortitude to uh, to hang in there and try to see things through to the end. It's uh, it's very very important. And again, very important to be uh, working with the right police agency that 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 gives your case the attention it can. Obviously, sure. like you say, you have a lot of cases to work on, and uh, you know you can't take one necessarily and prioritize it over the others. You got to work them all. But uh, you know, when you get good, dedicated officers, uh, that makes a big difference too. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And these these guys that work in our criminal investigations unit, they take a lot of pride in what they do. Um, you know, and and certainly they don't forget um an unsolved case, you know, to to our recollection and what we could research in this agency, we haven't had an unsolved homicide. You know, we certainly don't want to start that practice, but you know, the reality <laughs> is this is a, this is a tough case. You know, it's a, it's a tough case, and uh, we certainly will persevere. If I could just mention to him, I mean, if there is anyone that had any information, um, you know, we uh, we take any leads, uh, we keep as as much confidential as as we need to, and uh, we can be reached at three one five seven six five two two four four. And referring to case zero six one one zero five seven, or simply just to, to talk about uh, Michelle Hutchings. Great. Hopefully, uh, we would uh, be able to come up with a, a lead or two when the you know when the word gets out there and recirculates, because any of the publicity probably from two thousand six and seven is you know lost now, and uh, uh, maybe a little shot in the arm can can help. Sure, and there's an active Facebook uh, page. If you just uh, search on Facebook, Michelle Hutchings, um, you'll see that I believe her family maintains an active uh, Facebook page, just you know, giving little updates and little reminders, you know, that the case is still open and that there's someone out there, you know, responsible for her disappearance and possibly her death. Uh, Delilah, the the case like this would that be anything that would be a Q type case, or wouldn't that meet the criteria for Q? Did I lose Delilah? Uh, the Q is the missing persons uh, organization. It's finds missing persons, and I, uh, you know, sometimes the people they look for end up as deceased. But uh, they have a it's a national organization. Delilah is the coordinator in uh, South Carolina. Okay. Yeah, she. So I'm just thinking that's another a possible resource. For a case like this, as soon as we can get so now is that back. the Q um, C U E Q? Yes, C U E. Yeah, and it's uh, they do missing persons work, and like I say, they don't find all of them, and sometimes it ends up badly. But uh, yeah, yeah, badly is that a Donald Trump work? <laughs> they don't end up well. <laughs> Yeah, the um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you, you know, all those, and from what I've seen in my experience, you know, the parents get to the point where it's it's just closure. They they really, you know, if if that's all they get, they're um, out of the two things, that's that's what they they'd want, you know. And I'm sure, certainly sure, you know, everyone wants justice and they want to know who's responsible. But I think, in my experience, anyways, it becomes something that's secondary. The first thing is they just want to know where their child is. You know, and I, and I can certainly understand that. Exactly, and even uh, just getting a chance to talk about it. Sometimes I, I know that uh, some of the families, or most of the families we've had on, uh, so much appreciate the opportunity to to talk about their loved one, and uh, you know, uh, in addition to any the potential leads the programs might develop. They just appreciate being able to talk about their child or their brother or whoever the uh, the victim was. And, yeah. uh, Absolutely. Am I, am I on air, Danny? 
You are on air. I am. I must have had a button pushed. But I just want to add to what you you so glowingly said that, yes, we we do take cases like this. Any missing person case can be registered with Q. And their website is ncmissingpersons.org. Um, and I'm on it right now. To, <laughs> oh, good. To elaborate also what you said, a lot of times it is nice to have family members on a show like this because they can personalize this case better than anybody can. I mean, all of us can give out the 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 data on the case, but they really bring it home that it this is a personal issue for them, and it gives that person that's missing a voice that they, they don't have. And I totally agree with you. And that's some of the frustrations we face when people start talking about the circumstances, whether it was Jennifer or Michelle, oh, there's, you know, the people could have been involved in prostitution, there was drug addictions, they were running with bad crowds. I, I, I get that, you know, and that's unfortunate. And, and to some extent it complicates things. But at the end of the day, the girl was someone's child. You know, and and no one deserves for that to happen. Everyone has struggles in their life. They go through different things. Um, They're accountable for their actions. But, again, it doesn't make it any less or that we need to put any less effort or that this person deserves somehow what they got. That's not the case. You know, this girl didn't deserve to be abducted. This girl doesn't deserve to be killed because of the lifestyle she led. So, you know, I, I think people certainly need to get over that. Um, where there's you know less attention given to certain people in certain circumstances, um, and really focus on there, there's a heinous crime committed here and it needs to be solved. Absolutely, because if that person that that perpetrated this crime is still out there, it could be your kid next. Certainly. And you know that's human nature. I mean, when people get away with things, you know, someone steals a toothbrush and then they can, they steal, you know, a, a cassette tape. And they, I'm kind of dating myself here. <laughs> and then they, you know, they move on and they move up the ladder. And they, you know, I mean, it's it's the more they get away with, it is. You know, when you're taking a human life or abducting someone or abusing someone, typically that's a behavior that you're not afraid to do again when you get away with it. Yeah, I I think uh, you're right. Uh, you get away with the little thing, and then you uh, you escalate, you go up the ladder, and uh, and pretty soon you're into a lot more serious stuff. Sure, sure. And it's all about getting away, you know. And, and uh, I don't want to get into a debate on the criminal justice system, but sometimes when you read or hear these stories about uh, judges who give rapists, uh, you know, six-month sentences. And, uh, uh, I mean, these kind of things, you're thinking, what kind of message is that to send if you're trying to deter criminal activity? And I'm not against giving people breaks. If they really deserve it, I'm, you know, and I understand that the courts are backed up. If you can get a plea bargain and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I understand that. But uh, I think they can go to the extreme with it, too, and then... Uh, you know, it just doesn't. Uh, I don't think it serves justice. I don't think it does anything to deter crime when you. Yeah, I agree. Basically. I do agree. Yeah, and it's frustrating. I think from everybody's side, the public, the, the family, and law enforcement. I think, <laughs> I think yeah. that's a no-win when they when the court system, uh, you know, comes up with some of those uh, uh, case resolutions. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's certainly frustrating. And, you know, even being in the criminal justice system for 24 years, you know, I look at the sentencing, you know, guidelines for for certain crimes and I, you know, you shake your head. Like you said, how how can a child that's victimized in a sexual assault, you know, uh, how could their perpetrator get less time than someone convicted of? You know, they're second DWI, and you just, yeah. you know, some of those things I, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> and probably never will, I guess. No. <laughs> I can't imagine them ever making sense. <laughs> no. you know, what, do you, what do you think about that, Delilah? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah our, our system is just a little bit twisted right now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's a good. <laughs> good well, you know, you try it. to tell on, on that side. You know, we share those, like our investigators. You know, gee, you know, they, I'm glad they follow through on their cases, and I try to tell them, listen, you know, you may not happy be, be happy with an outcome. Someone may plea. You know, something may not go your way. Just understand that you did the best you can do. You know, in 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 playing your part in bringing a person to justice. You know, and sometimes I hate to say it so simply. You know, it is what it is. You know, on, on that end, but it is what you make it. You know, if your investigation is good. Um, you've done a good job. You know, these guys should be proud of what they do. And, and, you know, there's different factions in the criminal justice system that, you know, some need to be improved upon. And, uh, you know, some we have to just deal with, uh, you know, what, what's out there right now to work with. Yes. Uh, we're just about out of time here. Under Sheriff, before we close out, could you give that phone number one more time, please? Sure. Uh, 765-2244. And again, I've just mentioned uh, anything with uh, Michelle Hutchins, and that's area code 315, 315-765-2244. And uh, again, we're just we're taking active leads, and uh, you know, information remains confidential if, if need be. And again, you know, we're just help, hoping that you know someone who has any information uh, can help bring closure, certainly to this family and uh, to this case. Okay, and then uh, that note. We will wrap it up, and thank you so much, Undersure, for being with us again, and hopefully we can uh, uh, get a little nudge going here and develop something that will be positive for the uh, advancement of the case. And also, thanks very much to our listeners. And until next time, stay safe. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Take care. versatility of a 90s era hatchback you want trunk space the whole thing is trunk space giving you the ability to haul canoe sized payloads with little more than a trusty old bungee cord holding down the hatch and with over 400,000 parts and a little napa know-how you can keep your small utility vehicle running longer stronger because it's not quirky it's ahead of its time that's napa know-how Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.